We are taking a trip from Causeway Street to your street. So buckle your seatbelts, put on your green goggles, and get ready for Green Banners with your host, Mike O'Brien. Hello, listeners. This is Green Banners, the podcast taking you from Causeway Street to your street. Of course, you are listening, and it's the official, unofficial podcast of Celtics Twitter. I am Mike O'Brien, your host. You can follow me at OB McFly. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, literally anywhere you can find anything audible, we will be there. So please search us up, Green Banners. Very easy to find us. We've got an excellent episode ready for you today. Our guest this week is an old friend of the Green Banners podcast. You know him well, the people's blogger and hardest working C's fan on the planet, Barstool Sports' very own Dan Greenberg. Thank you for coming on again, Greedy. I appreciate you taking the time. What's going on, man? Happy to be here. Yeah. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm... <laughs> should should I be worried? I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm feeling okay. I'm I'm in a don't panic mode, but obviously a little, I would say pissed. It would be my mood after the last week or so of uh, Celtics games. Yeah, I'd say that's about right. I think I think now it's, it's I mean, it's not even mid-November. <laughs> I think we can say it's more frustration and anger yeah, exactly. than, than actual panic and concern. Yeah. I mean, nothing we're going to see in November, ha- you know, is, is going to tell us anything about how they look in May. But at the same time, they've played like garbage, and I think we have a right to be pissed given – what we thought this team was going to be. Yeah, yeah. And before we really get into it, first off, I just want to congratulate you on the full-time gig with Barstool. That shit was long overdue, and you definitely are one of the hardest-working bloggers on the planet. So congrats on that again, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. I mean, listen, I was doing Green Banners long before then, so. <laughs> <laughs> I know. it's It's been, you're a day one, and, and I appreciate and respect that. You you are Green Banners since the start, so I think you were one of my first guests in this shit. So it's been a few years, so much appreciated. Now that you're big time, you're still you're still uh, helping us out here, which is awesome. <laughs> I don't know about big time. <laughs> big time, yeah. <laughs> uh, you're 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 there. You're there now. You've made it. You've made it. But uh, obviously, we've had. I know you mentioned it's frustration. We've had a not so great road trip. We lost in Indiana. We lost in Denver, we lost in Utah, we lost in Portland, and we barely squeaked a win past the lowly Suns. Have we seen enough to say that we should, I know you said it's frustration, so we shouldn't start panicking yet. Like, what's your panic meter at currently? I mean, if it's a 1 to 10 scale, I mean, like a one and a half, two. I mean, <laughs> Love it. It's just, it's just, it's not the right frame of mind I feel like to to be in I think when you look at this team obviously we can't we couldn't go all summer and say hey it's going to take time for them to figure things out with everybody back and then now we're in the position where they're figuring everything out with everybody back and it's not that great right now we can't then be like oh it's time to change the lineups it's time to trade people like I'm of the frame of mind that the more these guys play together they'll probably be pretty good so I think it's one of these, you know, Brad obviously has a laundry list of things he has to do, but for me it's like let's just keep playing, let's give them, you know, actual a sample size to say what's working and what isn't working. I mean, 12 games is what, 13, 14% of the season? It's just like 
everyone, let's just take a deep breath. Yeah, I, I think people are getting a little bit too fired up. The lineup switch ideas are, I, that's the thing I think I'm the, the most sick of, is I'm logging on to Twitter and Instagram and just seeing all these comments of, sit Hayward, sit Jalen, sit Tatum, and I'm like, oh, like, like that's not going to help. That's probably going to make things worse, to be honest. I just, I just cannot understand the absolute panic from people. And I would probably put myself close to where you are right now. And we, there is some work to be done. And it is obviously concerning that we're not what we thought we would be coming out the gate here. But we're, we're looking, we're in November. So I, it's not like we're in mid-February or approaching April or anything. So I think people definitely need to take a serious chill pill when looking at this team for sure. Yeah, it's just one of those situations where you know you see the insert marcus morris into the starting lineup well he's playing the best basketball of his life in this particular role so what am i going to do why does it make more sense for me to take him out of that role and then have him be a third or fourth option with the starters when he's the first option on the second unit so i think it's just people are are Getting a little impatient, which is a classic, you know, Massachusetts trait that we all have. But they just need to understand that, like, you know, Gordon Hayward has played 12 games in a year and a half or wherever it is. So it's obviously going to get better. The only thing that is slightly concerning, and it's not maybe even the slight reason for panic, is I think home court is extremely important in this year's, you know, quest to the finals. I think Toronto, although they lost the other night to the Pelicans, they're not going to lose too many games. So, you know, you don't want to dig a hole too far in a sense that if you have to play a game seven on the road, that's happening in Canada as opposed to the Garden. Yeah, and the way we're looking on the road right now, I'm, I'm a little bit shook of that. But And going into the season, I was a bit more kind of brazen and gung-ho about this team. Like, oh, we're probably going to get home court anyways, but if we don't, I think we should be above and beyond the best team in the East. And then... I saw Kawhi play like a quarter, and I'm like, maybe not. And now Philly's got Jimmy Butler, and it's like, well, okay, maybe we really should be trying to lock up this home court because the East all of a sudden looks pretty talented for the, these first few teams. So I don't know. I, I the home court thing, it's not it's it's not like it's completely out of reach, but I, I think we got to put together some serious win streaks to compete with the likes of a Toronto or, you know, who knows what Philly's going to be like now. I mean, I'm not totally writing them as all of a sudden the next best thing since sliced bread, but you know, they're going to compete too. Yeah. And that's why, but that's why this, uh, I think it's, I don't know if it's Friday or soon after that, their matchup with Toronto that's Friday, is huge. Yeah. huge. Yeah, I mean, they've already lost head to head. You have to win this. I don't want to say a, uh, uh, mid-November game is a must-win, but it's kind of a must-win <laughs> gotcha. given that they've already lost to this team once and then you're going to be chasing them for home court. So I think we'll see a lot with you know the rematch at Utah and then Toronto. Um, I think we'll, we'll see if this team has fight to punch back and, and if they can win those both. Yeah, and hopefully they can at least get past the Bulls to start and then move on to that. But, it, yeah, it's 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 crazy. We've got... We've got a slate continued, uh, you know, I, and I don't like the, oh, well, we've had a tough schedule. It's like when you're a good team, it shouldn't matter. You know, you should well, win. Well, here's the problem. Yeah, here's the problem with that. I actually, I was curious about this. I wanted to see how tough it is. 
you look at the ESPN's RPI, like their yeah. schedule, Golden State, Milwaukee, Toronto, and Indiana have all played a harder schedule than the Celtics. And Golden State, Milwaukee, and Toronto are like, you know, have like six combined losses. So uh, I, I'm not really buying that as an excuse nope. either when your direct competition is playing a harder schedule than you have. Yeah, that's, I mean, the proof is right there. That's not an excuse whatsoever. Like, completely slash that one. When, and how can we pinpoint the blame? Does Do you think Brad Stevens deserves any, I mean, obviously he should deserve a little bit of the blame here, but what do you attribute to him as far as this losing streak goes and this starting off not so hot? Well, I think the easy answer is, I mean, they're not hitting their open shots. I yeah. think they're one of the league, they're in the top half of the league, maybe even top five in creating open looks, but are in the bottom of the league and actually making them. So obviously, you know, it's, it's not Brad's fault that guys aren't hitting open shots that his system creates, but I do think it is his fault with how they've been, you know, closing out these games. I think we've seen uh, we, the latest example in Portland, they get it down to five or four points with three to four minutes left. And then it's like their offense just stops. There's, you know, no ball movement. They're jacking threes. Guys are playing hero ball. Like this team should know how to close, you know, it was. If you look back at that game against Portland, it was a tie game with seven minutes to go, and Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum had four points. You got to win that ball game. But you watched Kyrie's ending. He had that sidestep three. He had the you know the tough jumper off the pick and roll with Horford. So I'll look to him to say, hey, maybe we actually need to to calm down and run some plays. But guys are missing layups. Guys are missing open shots. I mean, that can't possibly be Brad's fault. No, and those numbers are right. The last time I checked, it was literally like last in the league in made open shots, and I think it was like second or third in the league in um, actual open looks. So that's just, what can you attribute to that? Oh, it's a make or miss league. It's like, well, literally. But it's it's tough when you've got a team full of, it's like the Avengers. Everybody wants to be a hero. Everybody wants to be a hero. Between... Tatum at times, although he's been pretty good the last few games, and Kyrie late there in Portland, it's like, just create. You've got enough good passers on this team, and you've got enough guys that can make these shots, but let's create good shots, especially late, and especially, I feel like it's late and early. We start off games looking like God knows what sometimes, and then we can't finish it off. It's yeah. It's it's frustrating more than anything. It really is. It really is. And I hope they just start making shots. Guys like Jalen Brown or Terry Rozier or guys that are just kind of clanking. And I just hope to find some consistency with some of these guys. I don't even need them to make a majority of their open <laughs> shots. I just want them to shoot 41, 42 yeah. percent. How about like, that? That's all. That's all it takes. Like you don't have to. Say, oh, well, they're not the Warriors. Like, what the hell? Like, no, just be slightly below average. That's all I want. It's just slightly, just don't be horrifically, you know, worse in league history bad. Like, that's all I want. I don't think that's asking too much. No, I, I really don't think that's too picky. I think as a fan, that's pretty reasonable to ask at least that. 41% is not too unreasonable at all. And can we talk about, though, let's talk about this Kyrie quote. I know you wrote about this, too, and had a similar take to me. But to those listening who haven't read this yet, after our loss to Portland, Kyrie came out and said, right now, I think it would be nice if we had someone that was a 15-year vet, maybe a 14-year vet, that could help us race along the regular season 
and understand it's a long marathon rather than just a full-on sprint. So what's your take on that? So it was confusing, and I didn't hear him say it. So in the blog, I, I asked if there was additional context, yeah. context. And then I saw a video of it. I think him was like, he didn't give him like the full quote. Because if you listen to what he says first, he's like, oh, this guy's like me. And now yada, yada, yada. But I still want that 14, 15-year veteran. For me, like, what I think that he didn't understand in that moment was even if he had zero intention or, you know, zero bad intentions by what he was saying, even if he wasn't calling out Warburg, even if it wasn't anything like that, the fact that he set himself up in a position for people to react that way is what I don't want. Like, he's the leader. He's the guy. He's the one who's supposed to, you know, mold these young guys and let them know the journey considering he's been there and he's won. So it didn't even make sense to me, first off. Like, why do you need a 15-year veteran when you're that person? But then also, you got to know in this situation after a one-in-four trip where you guys kind of look like dog shit, you can't be feeding the frenzy with something like that. And it's just, it was just very confusing to hear because I don't think they need that. And I don't want them to, to get a, you know, they'd have to cut someone from the roster to bring in that 14, 15-year veteran. <laughs> It's like logistically that is terrible. Not to mention, it's so confusing. Like, what does he want, Mellow? Like, oh, is that is that? Are you just openly campaigning for Mellow? Was that what that was? Like, I pray to God that's not the case. But it's just so inconsistent. With yeah, so the only the only way that I would be okay with that is if he was talking about Perk. If he was saying like, let's get Perk <laughs> back in here, I'm with and, that. And, and all right, like, fine, I'm with you, a hundred percent agree. Like, you know. Uh, get rid of a two-way contract and give it a perk like that i can understand but i don't think he was and even though they did share time in cleveland together maybe he was but i'm thinking that's not who he had in mind i think you might be right too and it's just so inconsistent with i feel like everything he said this season i think he's been really well spoken with the media so far this year and I, i i really think there hasn't even been enough focus on that Every time he has an interview, it's like really well thought out and spoken. And he seems like he's really matured. And he always talks about how he wasn't ready to be a leader in Cleveland. And now that he's here, he's ready to do that and loves doing that and loves having that role and loves being able to kind of teach some of these young guys. Yet here he is saying we need a 15 year vet. Like, come on, man. Like, that's you. You want to be that guy. If you really want to be that guy, be that guy. Don't start losing and then. You know, don't say, oh, I love this team, a fountain of youth we have as a team. I think we're so young and so talented, and I want to be here in Boston for years. And then we lose a few games. It's, well, we need more vets. Like, come on. That's, and even if he didn't intend it that way, it's just, ugh, it's such a bad look. And, and he said so many good things as of late, and especially, obviously, trying to say that he's going to resign here. Especially because wasn't it either it was earlier on the road trip or it was right before they left? He had the quotes saying, like, don't worry. I'm going to make sure of it. I'm going to yeah. make sure we're fine. Brad's going to make sure we're fine. And then two or whatever days later, it's like, well, maybe we need a 15-year vet. It's like, <laughs> go back on the peyote if you can talk to me in circles instead of this confusing nonsense. Yeah. Like, I'd rather flat earth bullshit than telling me that we need a 15-year vet. Like, come on. Unless, I mean, is he trying to get Paul Pierce to come out of retirement? That's another situation I'd be okay with. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm. You win me a title, you can have a seat on the bench anytime you want. <laughs> Absolutely, and I feel like we have Al Horford, who is such a great veteran. I feel like he's such a good locker room guy. 
poor Al. I'm hoping his feelings weren't hurt by this. Right. Like he's been in the league 12 years. I, I what, that's it's not, not enough. enough. <laughs> it's got to be enough. 15. 14 or 15. Come on, Kyrie. I can't criticize much of him as of late, but that was something that really surprised me and kind of disappointed me. But we'll get off that. We'll get off that. I'm going to take a headline from one of the things you wrote and just ask you this as a flat-out question. Is Gordon Hayward actually making progress towards returning to his old self? Uh, in, the, in the word, yes. I think and people got a little upset about that blog. Really, all I was trying to do was to say, his op- he's obviously not there yet. His offense is nowhere near what we expect and where it can be. But if you look, if people just look at, you know, he's averaging nine points on 30% shooting, that's not telling the whole story. Because when you look at his year in Utah, there's a bunch of different areas that Hayward is either at that level or slightly above. Now, they're small areas. They don't say like, oh, you watch him, you see the same player. But it's it was meant to be uh, an encouraging sort of like, there is a trail of breadcrumbs here to say that if he stays the course, chances are he's going to be somewhat close to what we were expecting. And, I mean, I think the numbers speak for themselves, but obviously he still has a ways to go. But I was just so mad about people saying, oh, move him to the second unit. Oh, you know, he's never going to be the same player. He's lost all of his bursts. It's like, take a, take, you know, take a deep breath and look at how he's actually playing as opposed to what they say on the radio, and maybe you'll see a different side. Yeah, and I'm with you. I I still think he's got some time to really revamp up to his actual self, in quotation marks, but I feel like this is such like a microcosm of hot takeism. Like, the majority of people that are coming up with this, like, oh, he's too slow, he's rusty, he's not, never going to be the same, are likely people that are not watching the team or have only watch them in spurts and are just looking at numbers or just listening to, you know, whatever radio show that's telling them that Gordon Hayward sucks so far. And they're just taking that take and spewing it and spreading it to others. And now it's an epidemic and that's why podcasts exist. So you don't have to listen to that shit, but I just, I, it's obviously disappointing to see that he's taking a little bit of time, but again, we're in November. I think he has every right to, be able to build up to that after such a horrific injury. Yeah, and with him, the biggest thing that I only cared about for this first month, and I said it in the preseason, I said it in the season preview, like this time in his season for me is just, is he trusting his ankle? Does he have any mental hurdles? Is he as aggressive as he you know normally would be now that he's healthy? Whether or not he's making his jump shots, like, we'll worry about that once he gets into basketball shape and once he gets acclimated into the system. But you can't watch him now and say he's, you know, hesitant to go for that block or he's hesitant to go for that rebound or, you know, he's, he's not driving and passing. Like, he's doing all those things, which is better than I expected coming off a year away from the game. So it's like, let's not be so harsh on this guy and we're not even a month in. Yeah, and I like how you broke down some of the advanced stats there, too, in your blog. And if you haven't read it, go read it, because it really kind of disproves a lot of this shit. Like, oh, he looks slower, so that's pretty much a myth. But obviously, he's just getting back into basketball shape, and he's got to make make his shots. And that's indicative of the entire team, not just him. So hopefully, once everyone starts making their shots, he will, too, and... He'll get more into basketball shape and more gelling into this team, and I think it'll be good. 
Yeah, like people forget during last year's preseason how devastating this team looked when everybody was in basketball shape. You know what I mean? Like then obviously this year's preseason, he's coming back from a major injury, so it's different. But when he was 100% right and this team was making shots, it was nearly impossible to guard them. Impossible. And that's what it's going to be. So is there a point where, I mean, I guess mine would be probably by playoff season, but is there a point where you expect him to hopefully ramp it up and improve? And if you don't see it by then, will you consider at least this season somewhat of a disappointment for him? Or you know, what's what's the what's the timeline we got to give ourselves here? I mean, at the end of the day, it really just matters how he looks in April. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, like that's the easy answer. But for yeah. me, I would want him to be, you know, at least by the All Star break. Certainly, you need to be like that's more than enough time to get into to basketball shape. For me, I've made the personal cutoff of, like, I'm not going to start looking at him, you know, evaluating how he looks basketball-wise until at least Thanksgiving. So that's next week. So I'm getting close to, like, okay, man, we're we're a month in. You've, you've played, you know, 15, 20 games maybe by then. Like, now we should start to see some, some actual progress in terms of your production, not just your, you know, not being, you know, held back mentally. So – I'm going to say the next couple of weeks, but really it's by the all-star break. Like they need to be rolling on all cylinders by then. Yeah, I, I, I certainly think so. And a lot of people have been making comparisons to those early Miami heat teams that started off and kind of had slow starts and, you know, hopefully we can compete like them and win a title. But, you know, just because the last time we had this talented of a team, we came out firing with that 07, 08 team. I think a lot of people kind of expected that in our, disappointed and kind of impatient with the players namely Gordon Hayward because you know we signed him to a big deal and he had a lot of hype coming here and obviously never got to see that last season but I think we certainly do have some time you are definitely right about that yeah it's it's again it's too early but it's not to the point where you can ignore that there are real problems right like you have to do a delicate balance where you acknowledge that there's stuff that is pretty terrible but then there's also Brad Stevens leading the helm. There's also good talent on this team in a league where talent usually wins out. Yeah, talent always wins in this league. And take a look at your NBA Finals winners for the last 20 years, and that'll tell you that. Um, do you buy the kind of switching topics here, but do you buy the Kobe-ruined Jason Tatum take? I mean, I'm, I didn't want to. <laughs> I wanted to just you know, joke about it on Twitter, but you watch him play and the stats back it up. He's taking, you know, almost over twice as many mid-range contested pull-ups. Like, you can just see it. He's got the same sort of, he makes uh, behind-the-back moves, pump fakes, the guy doesn't really, you know, bite on the pump fake, and then he tries to reshoot over him. His degree of difficulty shots are extremely Kobe-esque. So, I didn't want to believe it, but the more you watch him, it's like, that's Kobe Bryant. Like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, I was... It- it was like you laugh at it at first. It's like, okay, yeah, you worked in the offseason with Kobe. We've heard this before. Like, plenty of players have done this. But and then it's like, uh, yo, stop taking so many mid range. And then it's like you sit there game after game and it's like, oh no, <laughs> he is Kobe. He actually did learn from Kobe. And I guess Kobe was his idol growing up. And I guess working out with him would be a pretty special thing for someone idolizing Kobe. But. Come on, you are so much more versatile than that to just be taking 
those Kobe mid-ranges. And Kobe was more, you know, versatile than that too. But he just kind of locks into this. That nothing pisses me off more actually than that when he, you know, tries to create a shot, can't really create one, and then just goes and hits him with the fake that doesn't work and then shoots anyways. It's like, oh, what are you doing, Tatum? Yeah, and it's it's just it's a settling issue, right? Like he's yeah. settling too much, and that's what's annoying. Is like, you know, it's just keep going to the rim. How hard is that? Just keep going to the rim. And he's long, and he's he's got those moves too, and he can shoot. But you know, take your shots. I mean, the, my biggest issue probably with this team in general actually is the shot clock stuff. Is you know when he'll get the ball and. We'll still have plenty of time on the shot clock, yet it has to be a forced mid-range jumper. It's like, come on, come on. There, there's there's better shots to be had here. You've got some guys that can really create shots. So I'm hoping I'm hoping that Kobe, as we move further into the season, Kobe really doesn't sabotage and seep into his game anymore. Oops, sorry, you cut out a little bit. What? Yeah. I, no, no worries. I hope as the season moves along – I hope the Kobe effect begins to kind of slither away. As, well, no yeah. Intended, so I, I think Brad, I think Brad is getting to the end of his rope with it too. I mean, he got benched in Phoenix. Semi was the first guy off the bench in the second half. So, yeah. I mean, listen, he is still a second-year player who's twenty years old. Like, he's not at the point where Brad can't like whip him back into shape and and you know kind of not say get cut this shit out because Brad would never curse. But like at the same time. I think that it's fair to, you know, expect Brad to rein him back in because this team is deep, and if he's going to, you know, settle and play like that, like, he'll just play Marcus or he'll give Terry more minutes. Like, this team isn't – or he'll give Marcus, you know, Morris more minutes. Like, this team has guys where you can't just start doing your own thing and, and being an ISO Kobe hero ball player in this offense because that's not how they play. No, it's not, and – I'm confident that Brad will try to get him into shape and Tatum is way more talented than to be settling so much. So I think, I think as a whole, we are going to be okay. We're going to be okay with Jason Tatum. No panicking on Tatum either. No benching Tatum, no benching Hayward, but I actually want to switch gears here. Now that the East is a little bit different looking now, let's talk about this big Jimmy Butler deal that went down, obviously sending Butler to the Sixers and Dario Saric, Robert Covington, and Jared Bayless over to the T-Wolves. What's your immediate reaction to this deal? Like, what did you think as soon as you heard this? Um, I think it makes them better because, you know, they they sort of swapped two rotational starting caliber players for a potential star player, which I think is an upgrade. Any, you know, if you're Philly, you obviously make. I think it helps them in some areas. I think it hurts them in some areas. I think it doesn't answer all of their problems, but they're a better team having having made that deal than before. I just think the Celtics know how to defend them, and in the areas where Philly's going to have to improve in order to combat that, Butler doesn't necessarily solve those issues. But I mean, it's still another dog that is coming into this, you know, race for the finals in the Eastern Conference that you know has the potential to play defense on your biggest strength, which is your wing play. So it definitely matters, but. Who knows if it's going to work because it hasn't worked everywhere else he's been. Yeah, that's the biggest thing is that he hasn't worked out in the last few places. Obviously, he's talented. He's one of the most talented players in the league. But for one, he his track record as of late isn't exactly great as far as 
making these teams crash and burn a bit. And he really doesn't help their weaknesses over there in Philly. They need shooting and they need to space the floor. And I'm not sure if he can exactly provide either of those things. I mean, I think he is a player that's going to help them out immensely. And obviously, like you mentioned, talent wins out in this league. I certainly think they're going to get better because of it. But are they going to get better enough to all of a sudden it's like, oh, they've leapfrogged Boston and Toronto. I'm certainly not ready to say that. And I still don't think they match up exceptionally well with the Celtics. And their big man depth now is seriously concerning. So I don't know. I I would like to see what the Sixers look like with Butler. I, you know, he was, they were a team that I would think would have went after him. And I was kind of surprised that they weren't listed as a team that was going to go after him early. But when he was traded to there, I was like, well, this makes total sense. And he kind of fits with that attitude of that team, that kind of BA, like, doesn't give a shit attitude. So I, I at least it's going to be entertaining. However it goes, that team is going to be super entertaining. Yeah, and then you still have the issues of, you know, full Sam Simmons off ball now because Jimmy Butler yeah. basically always has the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. But what I like about it is there's no more excuses. Just like the Celtics, like – they don't have any excuses. They have the talent. They should make the finals. The Sixers, if they want to believe in their talent, same thing. Like, no more. This team is young. It's the process, blah, blah, blah. Like, this is it. This is your team moving forward. This is what the process got you. Now you have to win. Yeah. If this ain't it, then it's process part two and blow it all up again because they got their guy. They got their piece. This is it. This is the end of the process. There is no more processing to be done. This is your process. This is what has become of it. I'm interested to see how they play. I, I do think they're going to be better, but I, I'm i not quite sure it's it's enough still. But can we also talk about how unaware, I know you mentioned this in your, one of your blogs, was how unaware Butler sounded in his in, intro press conference. He said he was an incredible teammate and that he's going to show that to guys in Philly. I don't believe that he actually, in his mind, believes that he's an incredible teammate and that people that he's played with think that is wild. Yeah, and it's just it's so bizarre and so preposterous you have to respect it. Like <laughs> he literally got you know anybody with a brain can look at his situation in Minnesota and say, you know what? I'm not saying he's wrong, but he's not being the best teammate. You know what I mean? He looks at that as like, hey, I'm just being a great leader and a great teammate. It's like like, no man, you just verbally berated and destroyed the mental makeup of the two cornerstones of that franchise, demanding your way out of this team like a little baby. Like, you're not a great teammate in that aspect. Um, so it's just, at this point, it's like, you know, look at what Draymond Green just did to Kevin Durant. That's what Jimmy Butler did, and everybody, you know, is calling him a good teammate. I just, I can't understand it. Yeah, there's one person calling Jimmy Butler a good teammate, and it's Jimmy Butler. And maybe Tibbs, because he loves him at the end of the day, I think. But it's it's like Trumpish level of just complete unawareness and like self loving, yeah. I'm I'm glad he's in Philly. He's a guy that we can kind of root against with that Sixers team. But incredible teammate is as delusional a thing I've ever heard from probably an athlete in a long time. It's like it's like Ron Artest delusion type stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but, and I mean he says like okay. He's, he's all about winning. All he wants to do is win. Well, what's he going to do if Philly never wins? He's just going to, like, you know, not turn on Markel Fultz, not make fun of Ben Simmons for not being able to shoot. Like, of course he is. That's what he does because, you know, he's not the best. 
He's going to call Ben Simmons a coward to his face. And I'm afraid for Fultz. This poor kid has to deal with enough as it is. I'm rooting for the guy, and this poor kid's dealing with a ton. And he's got Butler now. This guy's probably going to bull him into, bully him into obscurity. Uh, it's it's something that is going to be very watchable, but could end in even a worse train wreck than the T-Wolves if the worst-case scenario happens. Yeah, it's and I'm here for it. I'm I'm ready. <laughs> so I'm ready for the chaos. Give me all of the chaos. So what's the hierarchy of the East now, do you think? Do you think I the way I look at it is Toronto and Boston are kind of the you know, level 1 or top grade of the Eastern Conference and then the Bucks are probably not too far behind them, but does that make them kind of on that level? Do you think they belong above that Toronto-Boston level? I mean, Toronto right now is kind of in a league of their own by how they're playing. I mean, if but... we're if we're taking like a at moment power rankings, you can't put Boston ahead of Milwaukee. No. So I would phrase it as like, you know, Milwaukee, Boston, and Toronto are in that you know upper tier heading into the year. Below that, you have the Indiana and the Philly. I think this move brings Philly up to join those top three in that, you know, true finals contender tier. Yeah, they're in that top tier. Do you think Do you think we're kind of almost more competitive than the West now? Do you think it becomes more interesting than the West? I know every year people are like, the Eastern Conference is a joke, and now we kind of have four teams that look like they could similarly compete at, at that level. Do you think that it kind of has shifted the balance, so to say? Um, I don't know. I still think that's a little bit overplayed. I mean, yeah. you still look at the West. You got teams like you know Portland, Denver. You know Oklahoma City's playing well. The Clippers are playing well. They just beat the Warriors. Like at the end of the day, we're talking about you know a Sixers team who has you know two wins on the road, a Celtics team that you know can't get out of their own way. And then their top four is a Pacers team, which I don't think would be that different from a four or five seed in the West. So I still think the West is the better conference. I think they're deeper, too. I mean, you look yeah, at teams like the Jazz and the Pelicans and the Rockets and the Lakers. I mean, they're all not even in the playoff hunt right now because you have teams like Sacramento and Memphis that are, you know, eight and six and seven and five. So I think the West is still the better conference and the deeper conference, but the, the the good teams in the East are starting to get pretty good. Yeah, and there isn't a top-heavy Cleveland-only East anymore, so at least that'll make the playoffs pretty exciting, I would think, although the West is wild. you got Sacramento just running on fools, which is just baffling to me, and obviously angering. I mean, this season has been so frustrating because not only are we playing not so great, you have Sacramento is 8-6, and six, and we're just looking at that draft pick like, come on. No yeah, way. but it's a long, it's a long yeah, season, and you have the weighted, the weighted lottery. So, like, really, I don't think it matters if they're one, two, or three worst records. Like, yeah. don't those all have the same odds or something like that? So, yeah. even if they end up getting like four or five, like, oh no, we have to settle for like Cam Reddish or Nasir Litter, Little. Like, oh my God, what was us? <laughs> like, this, the, I think the top four, five, six of this draft is still, still a pretty good player. Yeah, you're you're totally right, and it's still a long season. I know there were some teams that started off hot last year that ended up in the absolute bottom of the barrel, so I'm not exactly worried yet, and I, I don't think this uh, honeymoon over there in Sacramento is necessarily going to last anyways. 
But I know you you talked a little bit about comparing Draymond to Jimmy Butler and similar pettiness. And obviously there's trouble in paradise right now in Golden State. Draymond Green and Kevin Durant got into it during and following a loss to the Clippers. Durant and apparently several other teammates criticized Draymond for his late game decision making. What are your thoughts here? Are, are you excited to root against the super team and hope that this puts a chink in their armor? I mean, at the end of the day, all this means is like they'll have to win 10 in a row now or something like that. You know what I mean? Like maybe the dysfunction causes them to, you know, lose three games in the playoffs. I mean, I think, you know, there's a, there's a clip going viral right now of like, of Durant mouthing, like, this is why I'm out. I don't know if that's really what he says. Yeah. But I think all this does is just, you know, give him more reason to leave, which is a, a scary thought because he could be coming to your division. But in the terms of this season and their title odds, like, this means less than nothing. Yeah. This team is – they could have a chainsaw fight at half court like that Nick Cage movie, and it wouldn't matter. <laughs> it's – as far as this season, like you mentioned, it's not going to matter. This team is just so ridiculous. But if it pushes Durant out the door, people are going to hate Draymond for life. And I kind of despise Draymond as it is, so you know that would be kind of cool. But I don't know. I don't know if it's enough to send Durant packing. I think it, it would be probably more likely that they try to send Green out the door before they before Durant goes packing. But I'm sure the team is doing everything they can to make sure his pillows are fluffed and that he's not too butthurt from this Draymond thing. But it is super entertaining to see that there is trouble in in this paradise of a team. And the super team, you know, is human somewhat. Although, is it going to matter? I don't know. Right. Like, you think they're human because they have a altercation. But the reason they're not human is because it's not going to impact them whatsoever. <laughs> yep. Whereas, like, every other team in the NBA, this causes, like, a five-game losing streak. People get pissed, people get subtweeted, and it's the whole thing. For the Warriors, they probably did this on purpose just because they're bored with how good they are. The whole thing is set up. It's like the WWE over there. Yeah. That wouldn't surprise me. They're just scripting their season. They're planning what games are going to win, what games are going to lose, and what altercations are going to happen to keep folks entertained. You can't put it. I mean, honestly, they have to figure out ways to keep a long season entertaining when they know that they're just going to go to the finals. It would not shock me if this was all part of the plan. <laughs> it wouldn't shock me either. Um, but what, how about what's your take on the City Edition jerseys? I know the Celtics ones leaked. All the teams have leaked now. Yeah, I think they're great. I think I think there's probably – I mean, there's a handful of bad ones just like there always is. But yeah. the good ones I think are really, really good. Yeah. I had not been that impressed since we changed over to Nike in the NBA. But I think this City Edition year – has been incredibly exceptional. I think there are a ton of jerseys on here that are so fire. I'm pretty impressed. The Celtics ones are great. I've been bitching for them to include a gold trim on these jerseys for the last several years. The white and gold was so long overdue. I don't know what what took them so long to do that. I mean, it's not that it's too overstated, but they look great. I, I love those. I love the Purple Rain jerseys, obviously, in Minnesota. Those are awesome, but... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then you got the Miami Vice ones. Oh, I mean, those you are got the, uh, you know, I really like the OKC ones. Yeah, I think Brooklyn's are dope. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just they did a really, really good job. And, and it's 
always a toss-up because, I mean, we've seen some pretty shitty gray, you know, Ugh. city edition disasters. So Ugh. it's definitely a nice relief. Those gray jerseys, the sleeved and unsleeved. Yeah, so bad. So bad. I, I, I could assume that they're probably on the discount rack over at the Greendale Mall right now if you want to go pick one up. Honestly, like so bad. They don't have the Ricky Davis edition, though, I don't think, unfortunately. Oh, that's my most prized possession. <laughs> you still got that? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. I, I think I still have, let's see. I had a Tony Batie jersey, and the I wore it so much as a kid that the back faded. So I had to get rid of it because it just said nothing on the back, which is crazy. But I had a Gerald Green St. Patrick's Day jersey from see, that's, see, that was a That's one of my all-time favorites, that green and gold. Uh, yeah, me too. From that, from that year, those are those are awesome. Yeah, those are the gold. Really makes it. I don't know. Understand why it took them so long to get the gold back into it again. I don't know why they would choose gray over gold. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. But hey, but I mean, that's all the questions. That's all the time I got here for you, Greeny. I appreciate you coming on. And if you're listening, go buy some t-shirts. Go support this Please, man. Buy some t-shirts. Buy man, a Gino. Buy an Air Jalen. These are some fire shirts you guys got up there. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Taco J is in Barstool Heaven, but everything uh, else is available for sale. Taco J is great. But, nah, the Air Jalen one is sweet. The Gino one is timeless. You need to, you need to buy a Gino shirt. I love the Gino shirt. But, again. You know, I've, I've always been wanting one. And yeah. Never saw one and just said, you know what? I now have the ability to make it, so let's just put it out because, I was expecting a lot of blowouts and there to be, you know, a million sold in the first week. Now we may not even get another Gino sighting off season. I, I know. After that opening night, I was like, I was dancing to Gino. I was like, this is great. Now, yeah, now my Gino shirt's in my closet collecting dust. I'm like, come on, come on. I just I just need the excuse to wear it. I'm afraid to wear it now. I know, but still buy them. <laughs> still buy them anyways because things are going to turn around. You heard it here first. I appreciate you again coming on, Greeny. Greeny's an old friend of the podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, This is Green Banners. I am your host, Mike O'Brien. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. You can check us out on Stitcher, on SoundCloud. Just search up Green Banners. It's super simple. And again, Greeny, thanks for coming on. We'll have you on again this season. I'm sure next week we will talk to Carmelo Anthony because he's doing nothing right now and he probably won't get a job ever again in the NBA. But, all right, Greeny, thanks for having you. Appreciate it, and thanks for listening, everybody. All right, guys. Appreciate it.